Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning, as we count down from Passover to Pentecost, we're beginning this new series called One Accord. Now, the words one and accord, which are two words in English, in Greek, in the New Testament Greek, they're one word, and it's a really important word that describes a church that's spiritually and physically, transactionally, emotionally, together, in God and in the purposes of God. And the word throughout the book of Acts precedes the coming of the Holy Ghost. When it says, and they were all in one accord together, you know the Holy Ghost is coming. And so uh, my favorite verse for that is Acts chapter 4, 24 and 31. It says, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the ESV translation. So I want to point out that this use of the word and its effect in the book of Acts is normative, that the church is supposed to be together. And this description is not just for the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. It kind of runs through the chapters of the book. So when you see one accord, you know something Holy Ghost is kind of coming. Now this morning, we as a church have been praying our way from Passover to Pentecost. And just so happens that this year, you have to follow this. It just so happens this year, Passover and Easter coincide in both the Jewish and the Christian liturgical calendars. More than that, the Jewish feast of Shavuot, which is called Pentecost in Greek, Shavuot's Hebrew, is what the Jews in Jerusalem were celebrating when the Holy Spirit fell upon them in Acts chapter 2. Now, typically, those days do not coincide in the reckoning, as I said, of the two calendars, Jewish and Christian. This year they do. They do. So there's a lot of hubbub among all the intercessory types, all those groups, as to Pentecost this year being important in the purposes of God. And I, I, I hearken to that. I, I see that. So because we've all been sequestered at various levels in this pandemic, we're anxious to be delivered from this captivity of sorts. In the past few months, I and others have tried to emphasize that as Christians, even though we've been made captive to this thing, whenever Paul was made captive, he saw his captivity as being captive to the purposes of God. We'll look at one of those scriptures this morning. Now, there have been two strains, as I said during the service uh, this morning, that there's been so much kind of like this dialing up of prophetic, miraculous dream activity consequent to where we're at. I think it's God. I think it's the Holy Ghost. No one can say God is not speaking at this time. But there have been two strains of prophetic activity that God's been speaking to NC4 during this season. One has, uh, is that we came out with this, all this eagle-like spirituality stuff, which I believe is we're learning, we're moving into that destiny. One of the strains has been this eagle spirituality, but the other and there's been a pile of prophecies and pictures and stuff, is that we are in cocoons from which we will emerge beautiful. Cocoons beget butterflies. And the idea is that we are in a metamorphosis of sorts. We're going to be emerging transformed and prepared for God to take us into the next season. 
And this just is an NC4. These kind of words are popping up everywhere the church is. There's a, a word moving across the church at large. So with all of the political rancor going on, and it's everywhere, right? And in an election year, it, it's going, and it's going to get worse. Listen, it's going to get worse in the world as far as the rancor goes. So I have a question for us as a church. How are Christians who are being transformed, all right, required to conduct themselves in the midst of all this stuff? Uh, what's, what's, what is it supposed to uh, look like, but what are we supposed to look like? Do we imitate the world or do we imitate Christ? And if our capacity to love is a prerequisite for revival, we're all talking about the eventuality of that, how are we supposed to emerge from this cocoon here? The churches themselves, because I'm online with, gosh, four or five different groups of churches and so forth across the state, across, across the nation, and both here locally. The churches, I believe, have been conducting themselves, to my mind, in just an, an exemplary way. We don't agree with each other all the time, but there's just been honoring and loving and sympathy and empathy going on. There's been social outreach. I'm really proud of the churches. Some Christians, on the other hand, not so much. I have no one personally in mind. That's not it. Because I try not to pay much attention to all the dysfunction that's on social media. But I have a sense that more is at stake than people realize. I really do. And some of us, watch this, some of us uh, can come emerge from this cocoon as butterflies has been prophesied. Some of us might come out of this thing as Asian hornets. So I met Giant, and they did this thing a couple weeks ago where if you're over 65, you can get in at 8 in the morning, uh, first thing. And, you know, so I was up, and I thought, well, I'll just do my grocery shopping then. So when I got there, there's all these old people. I'm not old. Oh, <laughs> lined up with their carts, you know, and they're waiting to go in at 8 o'clock. So this guy walks up, you know, and he has his mask on, and the line's going back. It must be like, I don't know, 20 people, 25 people in the line. And this guy walks up with a mask, and he goes to walk in to the store. And he just walks right in and cuts in front of the line. And this woman behind me goes, no, 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 stop him. Stop him right now. You know, like she goes crazy, you know. I mean, she's screaming. I can't scream that loud because it'll, it'll blow the sound system back there. It was like, stop him, stop. And so he gently turns around and he says, madam, I work here. <laughs> you know, she's shaking and she shuts up and and I'm looking back and I'm thinking, somebody's got company, you know, and <laughs> I'm thinking, whoa, you know, what's going on? But see, the thing is, there's a spirit abroad. Do you realize that? We can buy into this thing. There's a spirit ab- abroad that we can subject ourselves to. How do we conduct ourselves? What is our metamorphosis? And so I call this message Metamorphotest. And shortly we're going to Go to the scripture that uses that very word metamorphosis. But before we do, I want to make a very broad statement here. Please pay attention to this. It's a biblical statement, and I know it's a big fat one. It's a big statement, but it's crucial to the time we live in, and it's this. There are two opposing forces at work right now in heaven and earth. Each seeks to create an environment. One force is chaos and the other is love, all right? See, 
Uh, from the beginning, Satan is the author of chaos. Uh, the devil, whatever he, whatever he touches, he wants to destabilize it. And so all that he does is focus on breeding confusion, breeding disorder, and all of that, bitterness, dispute, rancor, okay? However, John tells us God is love. So all that God does is focus to do the opposite, to breed order, to, to breed shalom, or, or, or shalom means wholeness in our lives, in who we are and what we do. Shalom, we live in a season where it's essential to ask this question, which of those two forces is going to energize us as we walk through this thing? And you know, I'm telling you, as you go into this election, it's going to get worse. So one of the members of our pulpit team pointed me to a scripture that describes captivity and the church's response to being in captivity. It's from the Passion Translation. I don't normally use the Passion Translation, but this is just brilliant. So I want you to read with me from Ephesians 4 and begin, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, Paul's writing to the church he planted in Ephesus here. But he's writing from jail in Rome, awaiting the possibility of his own execution. And this is what's on, on his heart for the church that he planted. And I'm reading Ephesians 4, verse 1. This is the same chapter that gives us the fivefold ministry. It's kind of like a charismatic Magna Carta. All right. So Paul says, as a prisoner, see, he's sequestered. As a prisoner of the Lord, I, I, this, I can't even emphasize how strong a word this is. I plead with you to walk holy and in a way that is suitable to your high rank. See, we know from the salutation of the letter, Paul is writing to all the Christians at Ephesus. He's not writing to leaders. He's not writing to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He's writing to the church, all right? And so he's saying, because we are imitators of Christ, he describes, and he describes what that, that looks like. He says, you are of high rank, and this is the way you're to act. He says this, with tender humility, quiet patience, always demonstrating gentleness, and generous love toward one another. I love this. Especially toward those who may try your patience, right? Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony. You've got to guard it. Keep it there. Make sure you guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. Being one body and one spirit as you are all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. I mean, this is brilliant stuff. I can't think of something more pertinent. I visited Paul's cell in Rome, and it's just this dank little thing that he was in with a centurion garden. He's writing this thing, and he says, okay, I'm captive. My captivity, from my perspective, is going to be captive to the Lord. And that's amazing. Man, that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer stuff right there. See, the word peace here is derived from a Greek word that means wholeness. It's the Greek equivalent of shalom, all right? When all, when all of the essential parts of what's happening in my life are joined together and integrated so that I can move in to the purposes of God. It's essentially that equivalent of, of shalom 
I believe we need to become shalomic people, right? that kind of thing. So I want to quote uh, Delena Serrard in something that she wrote. She said this. She said, we, I love this. She said, we know that Satan works overtime to create chaos, uh, but his best work is accomplished through the environment of chaos that he creates. That is what is going on right now across the world. I mean, you don't have to be a spiritual rocket scientist to get that, right? And so chaos then brings destruction and division, right? Uh, Steph King had a dream that she shared with her prayer people online, and I believe this is emblematic of this one accord teaching that we're going into. And she she was in a house. It was a beautiful house. It was sunny. It was lovely. Everything was was just kind of whole and there was health and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, a cyclonic storm, a tornado comes through. And when the tornado hits the house, everything becomes dim and dank and morose and oppressive. And as she comes into the house, she realizes her family's with her. And I believe the house is a type of the church. And and, and as she realizes this, she, she realizes that those who yield... Those who yield to the authority of the Holy Spirit are saved, or at least are protected. And this thing just comes through the house and kind of cleans out all the dross and all those kinds of things. That's kind of a picture of the season we're going through. I, want to, I did this Friday night, but I want you to recall, as we came into this season, we came through all the power encounters, Moravian Pentecost, and then, you know, we did the prayer thing over at Nichman High School for intercession across the valley. And then we did the prayer summit at Calvary Temple. And all these things, like we were on track and it was a, a sunny disposition, you know. What's the old song? A sunny disposition will always bring you through. That's where we were. And so all of a sudden this storm hits. This storm hits. And yielding to the Spirit is going to be really important to bring us back through to sunlight and opportunity and to the rising of the Spirit and even a greater season than we can imagine. It's that thing. So Delena continues in what she wrote me. She said, I just read that the pictographic symbols for the Hebrew word, she's right here, shalom, read this way. They, they, they uh, spell this out. Destroy the authority that binds us into chaos. I'm going to say that again because I think it's pretty important. Destroy the authority that binds us into chaos. This is warfare, you see. Now, this is an important point. There's an element of spiritual warfare in generating the peace of God, shalom, that is devastating to the works of Satan and it's unifying toward the body of Christ. Now, we're emphasizing prayer. You've heard me say, pray, 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 pray. And people are praying intercessorily and at prayer groups and so forth. Everybody's praying. I'm emphasizing prayer that's not apart from shalomic action. All right. By the way, I coined that word shalomic. Isn't that cool? Anyway, prayer that's not apart from shalomic action, from doing things, acting, talking, walking, you know, all those kinds of things that we do that generate the peace of God. It's essential that we act out what we're praying, right? It's that kind of thing. So if you're asking, why are you inordinately irritated? The answer, beyond the virus, 
is that, look, church, we're in a warfare right now. And when we conduct ourselves in a godly way, we destroy chaos by bringing wholeness and peace to it. Noting, uh, noting this, I want to turn to one more scripture this morning. Paul is speaking to the church at Rome this time, and he's exhorting the church to become metamorphosized, right? And that's the word that, he, that Paul himself is using. He calls, the English word means, the English translation is transformed. And a lot of you know the scripture, and usually when we preach it, we're trying to get people to work in the church more and stuff. I want to take our thinking elsewhere this morning. So let's read together from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the cocoon scripture, right? Chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you. We're back to his... Paul is constantly appealing and pleading with the church to order itself correctly. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, Paul is saying, I appeal to you on the basis that God is willing to forego the punishment that we actually deserve and to grace us, and God is willing to grace us in ways that we don't deserve. I'm appealing to you on that basis, Paul says, and this is what you're supposed to do. Present your bodies, bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's a little bit of a a confusing statement there. He says, but then he says, this is really interesting because it's kind of the the methodology to get there. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorphosized. That's the word. Be metamorphosized by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, that's why I call this the metamorphosis test, that by testing... See, if you're going to be transformed, you're going to be tested. And this is the consequence, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. That is shalom. Behaviorally, what does that look like? So he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone, all church, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. And don't take yourself too seriously, okay? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. I belong to you, NC4. I love you, and you belong to me. And whether you love me or not, you can't extricate yourself from that if you're going to stay in the Holy Ghost, all right? So, one of the tests of our cocooning, that's a cocooning test, our transformation during this season is this, and it's really big. Are we, am I, conforming to the way in which the world thinks, acts, and behaves? Or are we, am I, being transformed into expressing the kingdom of God? If you're taking your cues from media, if you're taking your cues from the lady at Giant, where are you taking your cues from, you see? Uh, We're being challenged into choosing between aligning ourselves with chaos 
or the love of God, because there is a spirit of chaos abroad right now. It's a, it's, and it's not just here, it's, it's across the world. I'm, I don't think I've seen this kind of thing in my lifetime. Anyway, that means that whatever is going to be gotten from this, we also will not have seen in our lifetime. And it's going to be good, all right, for patient, okay? Chaos produces anger and resentment. Chaos produces distress, confusion, and lies. So where do we take our cues from? Look, I look at the media. I'm careful what media I look at and how I look at it. But I was reading the London Telegraph, which is a British newspaper, and I noticed that there was an op-ed piece that was written by one of the Labour Party women. And the Telegraph is a conservative newspaper in the UK. Her byline was this, and Boris Johnson, for those of you who don't know, is the Prime Minister of England, and he contacted the coronavirus, almost died. The byline in the newspaper was, I found myself really struggling not to hope that Boris Johnson would die. And I just said, that's hatred, you know. That's hatred. Uh, you know, all this, uh, remember when all the impeachment stuff was going on and so, uh, somebody, I don't know, one of the sides said, we don't hate. Listen, there, there's so much hatred abroad right now in the airwaves and in the spirit. So who do we conform to? You know, be ye not conformed, but be ye transformed into expressing the kingdom of God. We got this opportunity in our hands, right? So we're being challenged into choosing between aligning ourselves with chaos or love. Love produces order. Love produces sufficiency. Love produces generosity of spirit. Love produces health, right? So Paul is saying, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a surefire way where you can allow yourself to be transformed by the cocooning work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make you a person who can be in one accord. So how do we make sure then to do that? I wrote this. It's not a matter of what needs to be shunned in our lives so much as it's a matter of what needs to be done in our lives. Paul is saying that with a constant eye on the mercies of God, that we, we don't deserve all the goodness we get all the time, we have a mechanism for real cocooning change. Called, it's called this, presenting yourself as a sacrifice. Whoa. Self-sacrifice. Self-denial. Being sober. Well, there's a, you know, there's a, a preach that you know, everybody wants to listen to. So, <laughs> see, we 21st century people, I think anyway, have a problem, at least in the West, not so much in Africa, South America and so forth. But we 21st century people, I think, have a problem in understanding a scripture that's like this. Because we've never seen an animal bite the dust for what we've done. <laughs> right? You know? I mean, we've never seen a goat slaughtered to gain the favor of a god, which was normative, not only in Judaism, but, but in, in all the pagan religions as well. You know, there's this universalism about blood sacrifice, right? You know, so whether Gentile or Jew, first century people were familiar with what it means to say, present your body as a sacrifice, because they'd seen bodies sacrificed. It was part of their ethos, part of their culture. We, in the 21st century here, we don't even see our Kentucky fried chickens come under the knife. So, <laughs> so, 
what is then New Testament sacrifice? What is Paul talking about? So just so we're on the same page, I want to close with a, uh, these two thoughts. The first is this. Sacrifice, I got a handy-dandy definition here, is the surrender of something that I prize or desire, like, like my ego, okay, for the sake of gaining something that's even higher value for my life, okay? It's like, it's like a sacrifice bunt in baseball, right? If you do a sacrifice bunt, you don't get to be the hero, you don't get the home run, and neither do you get the stat, but guess what? The team wins, yeah? It's like, all right, so what, I have to do a baseball example because I'm thirsting for the MLB to start up. Okay, so watch this. Now, all worship, all worship is a sacrifice. Okay, no sacrifice, no worship. But in this context, Paul isn't only talking about, con he's not talking about congregational worship. Paul's talking about walking out a cocooning experience, a transformation by making my very life a worship. Yeah. So what is this sacrifice? What, what are we supposed to make it look like if we're going to see ourselves transformed? And in this case, here's what we kind of miss. This is, this is, this is like huge in this particular piece of scripture. Our sacrifice needs to involve our physical bodies. All right? Our physical bodies. Present your physical body as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies. It's fascinating. Not our minds, not our hearts, not our souls, not our spirits. All that stuff's got to be sacrificed, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is being downright gritty. Paul's saying, I want a physical presence in this transaction, in this transition, in this sacrifice. It has to do with the way you act, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you express yourself. It's the way you live. It's the way you give. It's all of the things that you do and perform that express Christ together. And it's being there for prayer, being there for worship. What is it, you know, who, I forget who said it. Was it Woody Allen who said, you know, 95% of success is just showing up. Well, we can't show up physically yet. We're gonna, but we can't show up physically yet. But you can show up lots of other ways, right? So years ago, I did a message uh, which was entitled Skin in the Game. And it was on these verses. It was a very different message. So we're in a season where God isn't interested in platitudes so much as he is in having skin in the game. And this Roman church was being encouraged to put skin in the game, become lovers, and move into one accord. So, brothers and sisters, as we begin to come out of this thing, and I believe we will, this will pass. I speak it prophetically, I declare it. But as this election heats up, the world is going to devolve into real ugliness. And it's going to be a fight between candidates and parties, and blah, blah, blah. But for the church, we are involved in an epic clash that isn't between candidates. It's between chaos and love. Can I say that again? We are involved in a warfare that isn't between candidates. It's between chaos and love. 
And the world thinks that it's all a matter of marketing and voting and getting somebody into office. But the church knows that it's all about prayer, sacrifice, the declaration of the gospel in the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, with that in mind, can I pray for us all? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we go into a new season, Lord, as we're cocooning in this season, as we're in the midst of, of looking to transition, and we so much unpredictability, Lord, there's so much, so many people don't know what's next or when it's next or how it's next. Lord, Lord, would you just lead us into the certainty of your love, the ironclad grasp of your love, Lord, the, the, the shalom of your love. Lord, that place of love for one another and for your church with hope and expectation that this is a preparation and a transformative one, not only for us, but the church across the world to see something wonderful happen. Would that it would be the revival that ushers in the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that we would just kind of base ourselves in that love, Lord, as a living sacrifice. I want to say if there's anyone here who kind of like, whoa, I don't even know what kind of he's talking about so much. It's just this simple. If you've never really attached your life to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, boy, this morning is a time to do it. So I'm kind of leaning into you. If you're, if, if you're online, wherever, however you're hearing this, I want to say that the Holy Spirit is working on you right now to generate a measure of faith. And your life can change. I mean, you can become a cocooning person that can trans, gets transformed into your destiny consequent to just a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. You can repeat it after me, everybody who's listening. And so th these are a few words that could change your life forever. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry that I've been loveless. The things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be transformed, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be set free. Thank you that you offer me this forgiveness and I receive that gift. Come into my life, Jesus. And by your Holy Spirit, be with me forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.